Well, I'm Pastor Tina Shrammy, and uh, I am really glad to be here with you. Normally, I'm over in the other building uh, taking care of kids and families, and I love doing that, but I also love having the opportunity to um, be with you and talk to you about um, some good stuff. Now, we're in the middle of a Disney series, right? Or not, not the middle, excuse me, the end of the Disney series. We've been in it for five weeks. And um, we've looked at all these different movies, and, and not because Disney is just this great movie maker, or because we just particularly love kids' Disney movies, but because Disney is really, really good at telling a story, right? They're really good at telling a story, and in fact, they're so good at telling that story that they tend to sell, sort, tell sort of the same story over and over and over. They repackage it in a different way, they bring in different characters, maybe a different land, and they're telling that same story over and over, and it works. And the reason it works is because it's a story that we all need and want to hear. It's a story about um, that things will turn right in the end, right? It's about overcoming incredible odds. It's about that in the end, the people that don't really know what they're doing will somehow get it right. It's a story of redemption, And we've been talking about redemption for these five weeks. Now, I've been doing the um, GPS, writing the GPS. How many of you read the GPS on a regular basis? Good. I'm really glad. That is a great tool that our church offers. Now, I write it occasionally. Uh, Most of the time, David and Mike are writing it, and then we have a few other contributors. But that is a great daily tool um, that for you to grow deeper and closer um, in your connection with God. It comes, you can get it through email, and it comes, uh, and you'll get uh, the, the scripture and then a little short devotion. You can do it in five or ten minutes each day, and it really is a great way for you to connect with God. Uh, Monday through Friday, and then there's a family GPS that comes out on Saturdays that I do normally write, and that's sort of geared just for the family and that topic of the week. So I've been writing this GPS about redemption for five weeks, and what seems like a simple word really is kind of complicated, and there's a lot to it. In some ways, redemption is very simple for us as Christians. You kind of know this story, right? The story of redemption that we're talking about in these Disney movies, it might sound familiar to you. If you're already a Christ follower, you understand what I'm talking about. And if you're not, um, I'll explain that in just a minute. Let's talk about Frozen briefly and its story of redemption. Now, what I love about Frozen is that there's no prince that comes in to save the day, like in most Disney movies. I like that, and it's a little bit different. And it also shows um, kind of how the uh, characters in this movie sort of mess up and kind of go down the wrong path, and then they get it together in the end, but in a very unique way. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, I may tell you a couple things that may Um, reveal somehow that movie goes, but if you have, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So you have Anna, who uh, is looking for love and looking for her own sorts of sense of redemption, and of course she finds it immediately in a man that she meets in one day, and by the end of the day they're engaged, right? Which everybody thinks is kind of crazy, but she thinks this is romantic love and it's wonderful. Then you have Elsa, who has this power that's a gift, but it's also a curse, And when I think about that, I think, you know, I have a lot of those myself, right? Do you? Do you have those things like, uh, for example, I think I'm a pretty good leader. Leadership, I think, is a a gift that I have, and I do pretty good at that. But leadership, taken to the extreme, can be sort of bossy, right? Especially if you're a girl, sometimes you get called bossy. In fact, my grandmother used to say I was really bossy as a little girl, so she knew I was going to be a great leader someday. 
But and at the opposite extreme of leadership, right, is just no direction. So I think all of those gifts that we have, just like Elsa's gift, they have the extremes. And they can be either a gift used in the right way, or they can be a curse used in the wrong way. So then you have uh, Olaf, who is a little bit like the Holy Spirit through this whole movie. Because if you've seen it, he's just given these little bits of wisdom through the whole thing. And of course, he provides comic relief as well. And then you have Kristoff, who sacrifices his hopes for he and Anna to be connected. Because he really, you can tell he digs her. And he leaves her. He takes her back to where he thinks she can get better and leaves her. Going off on his own, realizing he'll never be together with her, or so he thinks. But really how this movie comes together and how everybody is redeemed through the act of true love that they talk about in the movie. And it doesn't come from a prince or from some strange uh, random character. It comes from the two between the sisters when Anna sacrifices herself in front of the sword to save her sister. And when she does that, of course, we think she dies. She freezes completely and we think she's dead. But of course, love brings her back to life. And they're both redeemed. Elsa realizes that she doesn't need to hide her gift, that she needs to use it for good. And love is the answer to that. Love is the answer through the whole movie, which is one of the reasons I think Frozen is probably one of the best Disney movies in a really long time. It kind of goes above and beyond even the normal Disney movie. I really loved it. Now, again, if you are, call yourself a Christian, you understand this story, right? It may sound familiar to you, a little bit like the story of Jesus and us. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, let me explain, explain briefly how this goes. So God created everything, right? God created the earth and everything in it, and he left, he created humans for us to take care of it, and he wanted us to be in very close relationship with him. He wanted a connection with us, a love relationship, where we were connected to him day and night, and this was good, and it was great and like that for a short while, and then Adam and Eve had to pull the plug on it. Right? They decided that they wanted to be more like God than with God. Think about that. They, had, they were with God and they had this loving relationship, but they thought it was more important to have the powers to be like God instead of just with God. And because of that original sin, we were separated from God and have been since then. And essentially, we're living outside of God's plan for us. So God sent Jesus to bridge the gap. Now, Jesus lived an, a, a, a great example, the perfect example for us of how to live our lives. He lived an unbroken, perfect relationship with God the entire time he was on earth, right? He lived in such a way that we could see how his actions, his words um, were living out what God was telling him to do. Probably not in a way that most humans thought was normal, he probably seemed very um, strange to most people, but he was living exactly in accordance with God's plan, even to his own death. And if, you, if you've read the Bible much and you, you know that scene um, that Jesus has when he's in the garden, this is right before his death, and he knows what's going to happen. And he's in that garden and he says, God, basically, if you can take this cup from me, please do. I don't want to die. But then he says, but if it's your will, okay. And can you imagine? I love that scene because it reveals the humanity of Jesus. He was absolutely God's son and divine, but he was also human. 
And you, you realize that in that moment that he was doing everything he could to follow what God wanted him to do, despite how difficult it was. So God redeemed us through this sacrifice of Jesus. Now, in Scripture, there are several forms of this word, redeem. The two most common are mean to purchase out of the marketplace or to pay the price for the freedom of a slave. Now, slavery was very common in Jesus' time. Uh, in fact, it was kind of like if, if uh, two countries were warring against each other and one won, the losers end up being slaves to the other. This happened all the time. Lots and lots of slavery, and it was common to be bought and sold as slaves, and people just felt like they could own another people. Um, it seems strange to us in this day, but that's the way it was. So when this word redeem is used, they knew what this meant. This wasn't just, um, I'm, buying you, I'm buying something from the store. This was, I'm buying a slave, and I am, instead of making that a slave to me, God didn't make us slaves to him. Jesus didn't make us slaves to him. He gave us our freedom. That's big. That rarely happened in this time. Occasionally, a slave might have enough wealth and enough stature, because they had to have both, to be able to buy their own freedom And even more rare, somebody might have bought their freedom for them, paid the price, and then said, now you're free. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Both meanings are at play here. So we're not slaves to God, like we could have been, and we're not slaves to God's rules. Uh, A lot of people, I think, get caught up in the rules um, that could be. They feel like they're slaves to God in some way, or slaves to Jesus with the rules and legalism that you can find, but... What God did when Jesus is give us a grace-based ministry. It was all grace. Very little rules. I'm not saying rules are bad because they're important. I've got two kids. Rules are real important, all right? But grace outweighed the rules most of the time in the way Jesus lived. We're redeemed because God loves us deeply. Let me tell you, in Matthew 22... This says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is called the greatest commandment because that's what Jesus said it is. Love God and then love others. Our uh, mission statement for the church says it nicely. I think we'll have that on the screen. And it will say, it says, uh, we are making disciples of Jesus Christ who will love God, love others, and serve the world. That came simply from the great commission that tells us to go and make disciples and the great commandment that tells us to love God, love others, and serve. As a church, we're supposed to make disciples, right? We've been redeemed and we're supposed to make disciples, followers of Jesus. We're supposed to start this process by loving God deeply. Not because we need God to love us or he needs us to love him, but because he does love us, because he did redeem us, because he paid that price for us with Jesus, we are supposed to love him back and love him deeply. We're supposed to fall more and more in love with God every chance we get. John, 1 John four sixteen through 21 says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. We love because he first loved us. This is really the first step in becoming disciple. 
You know, sometimes we can complicate this process of what do you do when you become a Christian, right? I know we, we get this question sort of all the time. People come to church and they think, okay, I get this Jesus thing now and I'm, I'm part of the church. Now what do I do? And sometimes we can make it real complicated. But I'll tell you the basics. The basic is the first thing is you need to fall in love with God. Hopefully because you know you've been redeemed, because you understand the price that Jesus paid for us, you want to love God. And this is why we have worship. This is the primary purpose of worship services. This is why we have seven different uh, services throughout the week, not including children's worship services and youth worship services. We do this because you're supposed to come here to the service just like this one today and learn and fall in love with Jesus and God more and more and more. That's why our wonderful musicians lead such great music and they sing the words they sing. Hopefully, as you're singing... You make things beautiful. You're feeling that gratefulness, that gratitude that, yes, God, you're taking this crazy mess that I am, and you're making it beautiful, and you continue to do that. And as you sing those words, and as you listen, and as you're here with other Christ followers, you come to know and love God more and more and more. That's what worship is for. But falling in love with God doesn't just happen in worship. Uh, it can also happen, and it should also happen, the other days of the week. You do this through prayer, through Bible study, through time alone, just thinking about God, through meditation, through being in nature. There's lots of ways you can come to know and love God. And it's really important that you do because here's what happens. When you really develop that love relationship with God... When you understand how deeply he loves you as much as we can, because it's hard to understand. It really is. It's hard to fathom how much God loves us and why. And when you begin to love him back in that same way, love begins to spill over. It begins to pour out of you. Now, if you're thinking, I don't feel like love pours out of me very often because sometimes I feel like that. In fact, a lot of the times I feel like that here's what you need to know. You have to keep doing this over and over and over. You have to keep working at it, just like any relationship. You have to spend time with God to get to know and love God as much as you need to. And that's what worship is for. That's what spiritual disciplines are for, coming to know and loving God. Because here's the deal. Spiritual nourishment is perishable, right? It doesn't last on the shelf, you can't just get it once for the whole week. You have to get it daily. It's much like uh, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert for 40 years. And they prayed and, and they were mad and angry and upset because they were thinking, man, we had it really good back in Egypt. We had this good food. We were slaves, but we had everything we needed. And it was much better than this wandering in the desert business. And God said, I'm going to send you food every day. I'm going to send you manna. And it's going to come every single day. But you can only collect it for the day. You cannot collect more because if you do, it will spoil. And sure enough, people tried to collect enough for two or three days and it spoiled. So he sent it to them every day, except for on the Sabbath, he sent them enough for two days the day before. Every day they had to go and get their nourishment. They couldn't collect enough to last for the week. They had to collect it every day. And spiritual nourishment is the same way. Uh, a speaker that I like to follow, Christine Kane said that uh, she is always just one word, one thought, one step from crazy, 
right? She's always, she came from a very dysfunctional, she was abandoned as a child, sexually abused for 12 years. So she's a mess inside. And she says, and that part of me is never quite fixed. And if I don't spend time, she calls it in her dark place with God each week, each day. Then she said, I'm always just that one word and one thought away from just doing something really stupid, from saying something really bad that's going to get me in trouble. And boy, can I relate to that. I am one of those people. I mean, sometimes I think, how do you hold it together? I don't know. But it is absolutely, when people say, by the grace of God, that is absolutely what I mean. By the grace of God, I don't say stupid things every day. I still say stupid things. I get myself in trouble quite often. I'm a mess inside. I do things I shouldn't do and say things I shouldn't say and think things I shouldn't think. But by the grace of God, I don't do it every day. I don't do it every minute. I regularly can have that enough love that spills over and keeps me in God's grace on a regular basis. So the second step, once you have this love that, that can spill over, is about loving others, right? It's the second part of our mission statement. Love God, then love others. We go back to 1 John 4, 16 through 21. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So this is the command. Once you love God with everything you have, then you begin to love others. And this is not just the group around you, maybe that you're here at church with, right, that are easy to love. And if they're not, don't look at them, all right? (laughs) We don't want to upset anybody. But, you know, the people that are with you are probably easy to love. Those that are your immediate family, it's those people that maybe get on your nerves or that don't look like you, that make you uncomfortable. Those are the people we have to love because we have to love like Jesus did. And Jesus loved everybody. He loved the beggars, He loved the prostitutes. He loved the tax collectors. He loved the ones that didn't look like him. He loved his enemies. And that's the kind of love that we're called to have. Is this easy? Nope. But the more you love God and in a relationship with God, the easier and easier it is. MLK, uh, Martin Luther King once said, Now there is a final reason I think that Jesus says, Love your enemies. It is this. That love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them. And they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with guilt feelings. And sometimes they'll hate you a little more at the transition period. But just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It is redemptive. And this is why Jesus says love. So as we've been redeemed, we are to offer that same redemptive love to others. Love is redemptive. It's the healing source, not healing sauce like I wrote last night in my notes. Not healing sauce, but that works too if you want to call it the healing sauce. Uh, It allows the broken to feel whole and it turns a mess into a message that others need to hear. So start by loving those around you and then branch out to loving more and more people. Olaf the snowman in Frozen says, some people are worth melting for. That's right. We want to be the kind of person that's willing to melt for not just those right there with us, 
but for more and more people around us. As you begin to love others and be able to do that and become stronger at that, loving those that even are not like you, put yourself in community, a small group, uh, a, a choir, a Bible study, whatever that looks like, get in community with other people and practice loving them. Because let's face it, the more time you spend with people, the harder it is to love them, right? You occasionally start, you start to see their flaws. You see the things that get on your nerves. Or you see the way they do something and you think, I don't want to do that. But when you're in community is when you, your love really gets tested, right? When you're with other people that aren't just like you, you begin to learn how to love. You want to be living out of that overflow so that people around you are asking questions like, how is it that she forgives so easily? Why is it that he mentors those kids? How is it that she continues to serve even when she has so much going on? And why do they remain so kind when everybody around them is not? Those are the questions you want people asking about you. Because then they will see that that love, that thing that's overflowing out of you, is something special. And they'll want to know where it's from. And then you can tell them. Now this leads to the final step in becoming a disciple. You love God, you love others, and then you serve. That's just what you do. And as you grow in your love for God and your love for others, serving is natural. It just becomes part of who you are. Now here's the good news. You don't have to wait until you have it all together, right? You don't have to wait until you are completely in love with God, just awesome, you know, feeling God's presence every day, every second, because probably that's never going to happen. So you can go ahead and start loving others anyway. And you can go ahead and start serving others along the way as well. You don't have to have it all together. God is ready to use you right now because it's about movement. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus is about movement. We use the word follower for a reason. It is about continuing to take the next step and the next step and the next step, whatever that is. It's one of the things that I love about being a Methodist, being part of the Methodist church. Because as Methodists, we believe in a movement. That's what Wesley was trying to start. He wasn't trying to start a church. He was trying to start a movement of people doing things for Christ. And that's what we're called to do. We love having you here for our worship services. But we also want you to be doing stuff throughout the week. Loving God, loving others, and serving. Because your whole life is meant to be a redemptive story. The song that they sang, Beautiful Things, really, that's what it's about. God takes your story today and tomorrow and the next day, and he can make something beautiful out of it. Right where you are. You don't have to have it all together. Because God wants to redeem you, and he wants you to, to tell your story to others and share your story with others so that they can be redeemed as well. So whether or not you've been living a redeemed life this far... Whether or not you are good at loving God and loving others and serving, it doesn't matter. Start today, take the next step, whatever that is, because it's about movement. Grow closer to God, get better at loving others, start serving somewhere. And those three work in tandem. They work hand in hand. As you begin to do those three things, the other two will follow. Do it and become a disciple. Become a true follower of Jesus because it's about movement and that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to live the redeemed life that he has given us. He redeemed us. It's paid already. We could stop there. We could just stop there and say, okay, it's done. We've been saved. Life is good. 
But that's not what he called us to do. He sent us Jesus. He gave us a perfect example of how to live our lives. And I ask you to follow Jesus and keep moving. Take the next step. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving and gracious God, we thank you so much for the example in Jesus that you gave us. We thank you not only, though, for the example of his life, Lord, but for the death and the resurrection. We know, God, that because death was not the, answer, the final answer, we know that because Jesus came back to life that we have new life in him. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for loving us so much with a love that we don't understand and we don't comprehend. But we're grateful, God, that we don't have to understand it to comprehend it. We just have to love you back. Help us to do that, God. Help us to learn how to love you back with all that we are, with all our spirit, soul, body, mind. Help us to do that, God, today and every day. I ask you to put in each person's heart today, Lord, the next step for them. Help them find a way to grow closer to you and live the redeemed life that you called them to. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.